Gray is here on the Blaze Radio Network. Good morning, American. It's Friday. Welcome to it. Great to have you with us. 888-900-3393. Pat Unleashed on Twitter. Got a jam Pat show full of um, Oklahoma City information uh, today. Oklahoma City bombing circa 1995. Pretty fascinating. Yeah, it is. Uh, when you go back and uh, revisit some mm-hmm. of the happenings mm-hmm. surrounding that, uh, that horrible day. Some unanswered questions. From the day when 168 Americans were killed in that bombing by Timothy McVeigh. But were there others? Other than Terry Nichols, who stayed behind in Kansas. Were, were there other people involved in this? What happened to John Doe number two? I mean, so these questions that were never answered, never adequately addressed. Um, you know, all the explosives in the building from the ATF and other agencies. What are they doing there? Do you house explosives in every federal building? Because I feel like you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah, I feel that way too. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of stupid, really. <laughs> but uh, we're going to talk to um, a former Oklahoma State Representative, Charles Key, in uh, just a minute here. First, let me tell you about uh, Real Estate Agents I Trust, which brings us this show today. Uh, trying to sell your home is a challenge, and that's why you need a really good realtor. So somebody who can take away some of the stress uh, of selling your house or buying a house. Both are pretty stressful. It's a huge investment. And, you know, you want to get both done pretty quickly, especially when you're selling your house. Otherwise, you got to lower the price over and over and over and over and over. Um, that's what happened to Glenn. This is his company. And uh, in Connecticut, he had to he had to lower the price. I don't know. A uh, thousand times, till it was down to thirty nine ninety five. That's what he sold that house for thirty nine ninety five. Twelve thousand square feet, thirty nine ninety five. I was outbid. I yeah. offered thirty nine. Did you? Yeah. So yeah. the market was yeah. down during that stretch. It was down a I bit. See. Yeah, down a bit. Uh, but you don't want that to happen to you. So get a great realtor, somebody who can get you through this process, and uh, somebody who'll do more than open houses every weekend. So you have to keep your house immaculate. And then leave. <laughs> get out. <laughs> Clean up and get out. Real Estate Agents I Trust. The name says it all. Realestateagentsitrust.com. This is Pat Gray Unleashed. All right. So we are joined this morning by former Oklahoma State Representative Charles Key. Uh, Charles, welcome to the Blaze. Hi. Hey, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Um, tell us first of all, uh, what is your what is your involvement with this? Um, what what is the official narrative, and uh, what are some of the discrepancies? I guess let's start with the official narrative that we've heard over the last twenty eight years for the Oklahoma City bombing. Well, the official narrative is that McVeigh was the primary, you know, uh, mm-hmm. person here. And like you in the intro said, Terry Nichols helped him a little bit, stayed home. And Fortnay <clears throat> out in Arizona knew about it, but he didn't tell anybody and may have given a little assistance away in the early days. And case closed, we can't find the other people. And it's a terrible tragedy. We're really sorry. <laughs> right. Right. And, right. And we and we can't, after 28 years, release the surveillance videos that were captured all over the city, including right there on the spot 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It just goes on all the. Things. So we've we've never we've never yeah. had access to the surveillance videos. No, I'm not I sure only, I realized that. I don't know that I knew that. Either. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Now, uh, I guess just to update anybody who doesn't remember, Timothy McVeigh was executed in 2001, which happened <laughs> very, very quickly. Yeah, six years, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's fast tracked. That never execution. happens. Never happens. And and Terry Nichols still serving time in Colorado. Is that is that accurate? Yes, no? that's true. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, so so that's the official narrative. And then then there was there was talk initially, and I think uh, most of us who were alive at the time remember the talk about John Doe number two. Of course. And I mean, I don't know, dozens of people saw this John Doe number two and described him as looking Middle Eastern. Credible witnesses, right? Yeah. 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 About twenty or so, right? Um. And then all of a sudden, no, no, there was no John Doe number two. It was just, it was just Timothy McVeigh. Well, people saw, there were some people who actually saw him get out of the truck uh, with McVeigh and uh, walk away from it. So there was somebody else. Uh, so what are some of the questions that, that linger in your mind over this? Well, just on the subject, you know, we this got so big, we broke it down into into several categories, but primarily the John Doe's and the witnesses, the building, the damage, the experts, what could happen there, and then prior knowledge is a subject matter all in and itself. Right. But on the John Doe issue, the government's own case was built around eyewitness testimony of McVeigh, and all of the witnesses all saw say they saw mm-hmm. McVeigh with one or more people. And their case was built on that in the beginning. And it was not Terry Nichols, right? Because he stayed back. Correct. There could have been somebody in that group of many witnesses that described somebody like Terry Nichols, but the majority of them was were other individuals that have not been officially identified yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> but but the preliminary here, you know, where they found McVeigh in a jail up in the county north of Oklahoma City. He was sitting there. Supposedly they found him, and I believe that. But they take mm-hmm. him down to a federal prison for the preliminary hearing. The whole preliminary hearing, the whole evidence that was presented, and only was eyewitness testimony that says, yes, we saw that guy, and we saw him with somebody else. Right. Yeah, the one That's witness, their case. Right. The one witness I saw interviewed said that uh, he was called down and ID'd uh, McVeigh, but also said that they never showed him another person and he was he had expected to see another person since he saw mcveigh and another person in front of his business well there's also this uh, jeff davis who was a chinese food delivery guy that delivered food to that dreamland motel in kansas where mcveigh was and when he delivered the food the person that opened the door was a different john doe altogether and he said i saw mcveigh sitting right there on the bed and did the transaction well the other part of that is Jeannie boylan the famous sketch artist was brought in to do the sketch on that person and while she's talking to the food delivery guy jeff davis he says well by the way you know mcveigh was sitting right there i could see him just as clear as i could see the other guy and etc etc she went to the fbi and says hey you guys know this don't you and they just dismissed her and went on down the road there's actually a whole kind of a story, a path that goes down that takes a little bit of time to tell. But they systematically, in my opinion, started eliminating John Doe number two. The, re- the way they did that <clears throat> is at the Eldon's Body Shop and Ryder Rental Place, where McVeigh came in with another person. They kept asking Connie Beamer, the manager that did the transaction at Eldon, 
Elliott, who also did the transaction with McVeigh and this John Doe, they kept coming back to them and asking them if they would go under hypnosis. They kept questioning their testimony. There was a third person in there that was a mechanic taking a break. He didn't have anything to do with the transaction or anything. They got him to agree to go under hypnosis. The next day, they basically the next day they came out and said, well, we've discovered what happened here. All these people mixed up McVeigh coming in by himself with two other individuals that came in the day before to do a similar transaction. <laughs> which okay. Is total, just total BS, you know. Yeah. But that's that's as we saw this unfold, as we were dead in the middle of it, I saw that, and, and of course, reflect on it as time goes by. It was a systematic elimination of John Doe number two, so they didn't have to deal with it. <clears throat> and the long and short of it is. They had undercover agents in there. If they would have gone down the path, they would have had to identify these other persons. And it would have come out in in evidence like government documents, field reports, and things like that. The other angle on that is that it's almost certain that there was Middle Eastern involvement. And so what president, what uh, administration wants to deal with that, it would require from its citizens an immediate response. So you have this two issues that makes it easy for politicians to go, let's try to sweep this under the rug if we can. So you think uh, because the Clinton administration at the time didn't want to deal with uh, responding to an act of terrorism from Middle Eastern terrorists, that they just systematically eliminated the John Doe number two suspect? Well, I think that was one of the reasons. I really don't think it was the primary reason because the other problem the government had is, that, again, they – this was a sting operation. The evidence is overwhelming. It was a sting operation that was put together, you know, obviously beforehand, and it literally and figuratively blew up in their faces. Yeah, now, how did yeah. that happen? Mm-hmm. Was it by somebody's intent that knew that this was being surveilled and they may, you know, caused it to, to blow up anyway uh, when it wasn't supposed to, or you know what? Because it, you just got some things that are very telling while at the same time very odd about the way this is developed. Wow. So, all right, Charles, I, I mean, you're, you're right when you said at the onset that you can break this thing into so many different areas, and, and it's so easy to go down one tangent when you're trying to still tamp down another one. Um, I tell you, with the John Doe number two, and, and this is just my speculation here, and, and see what your thoughts are on this, do you think that we're talking about 1994, 1995, um, the political pressures on Bill Clinton at that time from the right were enormous, right? I mean, the the Republicans had just taken control of Congress in 94, and he's about to head into a reelection year. And it just seems from my perspective, and I'm just throwing this at you to see what your thoughts are on this. It seems like it was just too convenient to blame the extreme right and talk radio and We've got to we've got to shelve John Doe number two, not only because we don't want to deal with Middle Eastern terrorism in the middle of America, but hey, this is an opportunity to say, look at this white supremacist over here and Timothy McVeigh, because I think everybody agrees that Timothy McVeigh was absolutely involved in this. I don't think anybody is mm-hmm. arguing that whatsoever. But the Middle Eastern connection, which we can get into with with uh, Terry Nichols going to the Philippines. Uh, the similarities of the bombs between the 1993 uh, World Trade right Center down. and Oklahoma City. And we can go down that road. But but first, I just want to throw out my theory that this was an opportunity to to p- 
push the John Doe number two Middle Eastern connection aside and go, nope, nope, look, it's white supremacy. Is that is that kind of your takeaway on this? Well, sure. And the Clinton administration, I mean, look at today what they're doing, uh, the current similar you know, Democratic <laughs> right. administration. Right. So Absolutely. They're, they're yeah. pointing the finger at the right, blaming us, blaming a lot of mm-hmm. other people. And, you know, I, we talked about this before the show a little bit. Uh, back in the heat of all of this, back in 95 through for five or six, seven years, we were just dead in, in the middle of this, doing lots of interviews. Court TV calls has come down and shoot up from uh, University of Oklahoma studio. There'll be somebody there from the local DA's office. It was an assistant DA. He and I sat there, did the interview after it was over. Uh, and he was a guy, a good guy, but he didn't want to be there. He was, they just sent him down there. So he didn't have that much to say. So we got into a really good conversation over to the side later while we're talking. He says, well, I can tell you who's running this whole thing. Cause I'm on a conference call every Monday or frequently when somebody else doesn't want to do it. And sometimes more than Monday and it's Jamie Gorlick, Merrick Garland and Abner Mikva are the ones that are running this for the Clinton administration. Wow. Well, that didn't surprise us at the time mm-hmm. that the feds were running that that was really the point at that time. We didn't know sure. that much about Merrick Garland or the others. Now we know a lot about them and how they mm-hmm. operate and what they've done in the past and what they're doing today. And so if you think in terms of things we're watching today, it was very biased, of course, but I think the middle Eastern thing, it, I, people look at this differently. Uh, I try mm-hmm. to just keep staying at an objective point of view, the middle Eastern part of this with some others that clearly were involved that were, uh, domestic. It's more like the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing from what I've learned from others with experience yeah. in the past and stuff like this. So that's my mm-hmm. take at the moment. Uh, meaning that, uh, Timothy McVeigh worked with Middle Eastern terrorists because, uh, they're the enemy of the United States as well. Is that, yeah. is that where the enemy of my enemy is? Yeah, my friend? He, he wasn't sort of a thing. fan of, uh, right. He, right. And so you might get uh, bombing components and explosives and things like that from from a from someone like that. Right. You know that might be how they help provide materials and stuff like that. Maybe some other stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's not that unusual, actually. And I got a real, of course, education with this thing, just being involved in it. But the education included many people who had been involved in similar things, but not as high profile in the past where there have been improprieties with government agencies, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we like to think sometimes most people that are living their lives like we'd all like to and not have to deal with this stuff, that this stuff doesn't happen very often, except once when it pops up in the news, maybe. Mm -hmm. But there's actually a lot of cases where there's some real serious improprieties. And so it's not that unusual that government will either screw up or do some things intentionally looking out for their own best interest, maybe. And all this is not yeah. to say that there wasn't a component of domestic terrorism. And I, I, I right. think you've made that point. And, and that there isn't a tie to uh, Waco and probably Ruby Ridge because um, there really is, right? Timothy McVeigh, supposedly, according to some reports, Timothy McVeigh was actually in Waco at the time of that disaster with the Branch Davidians. Uh, is there any truth to that? That Timothy yeah. McVeigh was actually there. Oh well, yeah. That's there's pictures of him sitting on the a hood of a car, right. you know, from a distance, wow. like a lot of people mm. were. And so, um, you know, I had a there's a lot of, under the category of prior knowledge. I had a U.S. Senate staffer. How I got to this person, 
and talked to him privately was really interesting. But I was there and he told me, among other things, but this is really the big tell. He said, look, uh, I had a conversation with uh, an assistant ATF uh, director and an assistant in, at DOJ. And they were talking about the Oklahoma City bombing and other things. And they said the genesis of the Oklahoma City bombing was a fake sting operation they put together after Waco because of the negative backlash they got because of Ruby Ridge and Waco. Mm. And so that was, and I said, well, is that exactly how they said it? And he said, yeah, that's how they said it. The genesis was them creating a, a look good, feel good, whatever it was, sting operation. <clears throat> and then back to it blew up literally and figuratively in their faces. Sting operation in that they were going to swoop in and Wait. stop this thing from happening in 1995? And yeah, my yeah. take. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, my understanding is, you know, they're, they're staging something, wow. and then they can come in and look, say, look, we stopped these guys from trying to blow up this building. You know, that would be a big deal. Well, that certainly makes sense because we had uh, reports of multiple bomb threats and the building being emptied prior to the actual bombing, right? So they were laying the groundwork that they knew something was coming, and we were going to stop it. Yeah, and there's just tons of... Uh, Mm. information like that like the next day in the usa today newspaper so on april 20th there was a big article that ran into multiple pages <clears throat> one of the things they said in there among other interesting things is they said the oklahoma city fire department had gotten a warning from the fbi a few days before the bombing to be in a heightened state of alert oh, and they uh they quoted assistant chief fire chief harvey weathers and uh he he actually he, he's told Glenn Wilbert of <clears throat> another person that has been lost two little boys in the daycare center. He says, "Well, look, because Glenn had told him when he confirmed that he goes, you might find it interesting." He talked to another assistant, and the assistant denied it. He says, "Well, I'm not going to lie for anybody that happened." <laughs> but that's just one of many prior knowledge. Mm -hmm. You had a judge, federal judge in the federal courthouse, just in the next building south of the Murrah building, who was interviewed that by his hometown newspaper, the Portland Oregonian. And it came out the next day and he said a similar thing. He said, yeah, we had been advised by people that were quote in the know that we should be in a heightened state of alert. Um, another troubling thing about this is the ATF had an office there. Uh, that was their main office. And then the DEA had offices and many others, but there was no one in the ATF office that morning. Right. There were two mm. ATF employees that officed in the DEA office because they were compliance officers and their work was similar to that. And there was a space issue and those guys were in there, but there was not even a secretary in the ATF office that morning. And there's more to that story, of course, and proofs of it, of what I just said. Uh -huh. So you've got all these uh, problems that uh, is clear. They were in a state of alert mm. and, um, you know, it didn't go the way some people thought, apparently. No kidding. What was the ATA, ATF agent? Um, I saw a video that you had made shortly after um, the attack. And um, what was the, uh, was the ATF agent that tried to make it seem like they were in the building? Charles, do you, do you know what I'm referring to? Um, so, yes. The, yeah. The, the, to be in the building, you know, you would have to, you know, how would you survive that? I mean, the other people mm -hmm. got out. So you've got, what you have is you've got two uh, one ATF and one uh, DEA assistant that claimed they were in the building. 
but they claimed they were in the elevators. There's elevators there. They failed. They were uh, shut down and everything. Well, the, there was a local elevator company and the GSA were there that morning to inspect elevators in that building and the federal courthouse. They were lucky they were in the federal courthouse at the time where they would have been killed, oh. probably. So they were immediately on the on the job of looking at the elevators. They have gone on record saying there's no one that were in elevators. There's no evidence of time. it. There, and and they went on to say the owner of the company said you'd want to ask those people how they lived through that or if they did mm -hmm. how they don't have broken bones and terrible injuries. Right. Well, none of that happened. You know, none of that evidence is there. There was one ATF agent. His name is Luke Franey, who claimed he was there. We've got a picture mm -hmm. up in the building, and I forget what floor, the sixth or seventh or something like that. And he's the one that had a sign that he was holding out a window saying, help, ATF agent stuck up here. Problem with Luke Franey is we've got pictures of him de being down on the ground immediately after the bombing, like, you know, like a war scene where all that smoke and destruction's all over. And he was, we've got pictures of him there. And um, anyway, his mm. story is very, you know, very poor for so how he was up there. During the bombing, right? So we're we're alleging that he went up there after the bombing so that we could see the sign, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Mm. What about, what about the size of the explosion? Is there uh, um, an issue with with the bomb doing this much damage? Just a, a fertilizer bomb from a truck that was sixty feet away from the building uh, doing that kind of devastation? Yeah, and keep in mind, by the way, Charles, we have your uh, slideshow. So if you if you want to uh, bring up any particular images, uh, just shout out the number and we'll put them on the screen for you. Yeah, that's a really good one right there. That's of course the Murrah sure building. Is. Mm -hmm. And you and there is big problems with this to answer yep. your question. And frankly, in the in the early days of this, the first even couple of years, for a person like myself that doesn't particularly uh, care for and like this kind of subject matter, meaning science, right. math, and all that, <laughs> I could easily believe their story. Uh, I might question it, but I would go along with it at least. And I think that's the way most people are. And I didn't think this would be part of. In, as part of our investigation, something that would be one of the most telling parts of it. But yet, it has become that, basically. There, you've got too many experts that have come forward in great detail with their opinions, like General Ben Parton and many others, that say it, there's no possible way that the ammonium nitrate bomb could have done that mm -hmm. much damage, but more importantly, that penetration into the building. Yeah. Well, we and know that... We, we know there were multiple bombs, right? I mean, we know there were, well, I say we know. It was reported and there were, you know, there were uh, uh, witnesses that said bombs were taken out of the building that didn't go off, right? Exactly. So there had to. Because they were damaged by the blast. By the, by the blast or yeah. the other bombs that you were saying went off, right? Yeah, you've got both. You And that's what General Parton and others have said right. that that indention into the building has to be caused by intentionally placed explosive devices on uh, header beams and, and pillars. And that's the way that happens. So the other thing is that we've got too many paramedics and other professionals that were there and government's own reports of finding other a second and third bomb there and they had took them out. So there's just too much evidence to that uh, on top of what the experts say can and can't happen and how it happens. Here's some interesting things that you'll particularly find interesting that I didn't send to you. We didn't talk about yet, but the government quote commissioned their own uh, group to go in and study it, a group of 
architects and engineers and uh, they came into Oklahoma City, but they would not let them go to the site. They they got as close as I believe it was 100 feet. They would let them observe it from a distance. <laughs> and they wouldn't let them go look at it, touch it, wow. take samples, stuff like that. So they they and we've got it in our report what they said. And so they produced this report. Well, I mean, that, in that par for the course, in my opinion, yeah, from what I've are, seen I from mean, the government. Yeah, I mean, they hamstrung them from the beginning. Was the excuse that it was too dangerous to let them near the building? Is is that what they used? I don't know. That, I don't remember if there was any real kind of, quote, official uh, response that, about that. That's bizarre. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. 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 Go investigate, got, but don't look. Yeah, but, but don't touch. Yeah. Don't touch. <laughs> you know. Back to the building, some of those visuals we sent, I don't know, you can pop them up if you want to. We used, uh, we've got, we, meaning people, uh, have the benefit of uh, unfortunate other terrorist acts that have happened all over the world for decades. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple right there. We used uh, Cobar Towers mm -hmm. in Bogota, Colombia is another one where people pull up in front of an embassy or something like that, a big truck load of ammonium nitrate, mm -hmm. set it off. And when you see that picture on the right, yeah. what will happen is it'll blow the face off of it, but it doesn't have the power right. to take out the pillars and headers. Wow. And that's what the expert said is, is that is a telltale sign. You might remember right. the Cobar Towers in Saudi Arabia. I believe they pulled up a big old tanker truck full of this stuff. Yes, they did. Wow. And, and plus another thing people need to think about here when you, when you really analyze it, see, I didn't, I didn't have the the experience in history to look at it like this. The buildings in places like Saudi Arabia and many other places around the world are not built like ours. They don't right. have all right. Bar. Yeah, right. I had I had one expert tell me you could get a pencil and grind it into the wall of those kind those buildings. That's how mm -hmm. uh, great of the concrete. So mm. even even a big bomb like that just blew the face off that building in Cobar Towers and some of many of these other ones. You have to have intentionally placed charges. Okay. And the Air Force and the government knows this because they've tested this stuff sure. forever. Were there multiple explosions? Yeah, there were multiple yeah. explosions. You've got the seismographs that show there were multiple mm -hmm. explosions. And, you know, like the experts, there's no expert out there that comes out and really lays out the case. They have not done this, laid out the case that, you know, it happened the way the government uh, said in terms of the bomb. And the seismograph is similar like in that regard normally and and I, I will preface this by saying we've got our own mit uh, educated seismologist here in oklahoma that was front and center on this the normal way to look at that seismogram that was just on the screen is to see at least two events maybe three mm -hmm. but then mm -hmm. the government brought in a federal guy that worked for usg whatever it's called the Geo, uh, something society or yes. organization and he tried to make an argument well it could be and i think it's the building falling down so you got an explosion okay. and the building right. falls down and sure. also well, they would they could use the fact that you know maybe things in the building were exploding after <laughs> the blast right well and they other did things they were did. exploding they could have, but they didn't because that oh. gets them in a hot water too. Right. They did have stuff in the building. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. yeah, they can't win but, either way. Wow. Right. But on this question, the final point here is when the all the rescue effort had finished and everything, and they decided they were going to take the rest of the building down, which was would have represented about three quarters of the building compared to that claim that the second event on the seismograms were the was the building falling down. It didn't come anywhere near producing the same event. Right. On mm -hmm. the seismograms. so mm -hmm. it blew their uh, their claim right. out, 
So, so you have, obviously, you're not some guy clicking around on the internet, uh, opening up a few tabs and saying, let's talk about how Oklahoma City was this big conspiracy. You have commissioned experts in all areas. You've compiled a 500-page report. I mean, you have been a watchdog uh, going after the truth uh, since April 19th, 1995, Charles. And, and I guess my question is, if there were extra explosions besides just the truck bomb pulled up in front of the Murrah building, do you have a thought uh, as to who is responsible for those uh, extra explosions? Well, I think it gets back to, uh, <clears throat> you know, a well-coordinated plan for one thing. This is just like, uh, I believe it was our governor said that, a former FBI guy um, at the time, Frank Keating. And maybe it was the judge, one or two other people said that, um, you know, this was a very sophisticated operation. Mm. It wasn't a guy like McVeigh, even though he'd been in the army or whatever, or Nichols or whatever. It wasn't a few guys that got together and was able to throw mm. this thing together and just pull mm. it off like that. That's just total BS. Anybody that looks at these ev right. the evidence we have yeah. will understand that. So I think I have to go back to uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. There were multiple parties involved in this. Mm. And they had a common goal, and that's they worked together. Other than that, wow. it gets kind of tricky because you've got a sting operation. Up, up, it seems real apparent. we got to take a break many... here. Uh, we'll come right back. Uh, do you have a little more time with us? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, right. More with uh, former Oklahoma State Rep Charles Key on the Oklahoma City bombing and some of the incongruencies coming up. Pat Gray Unleashed. Welcome. Great to have you with us. Pat Gray Unleashed. Uh, we're talking with former Oklahoma State Representative Charles Key about the Oklahoma City bombing from 1995. So many, so many questions that have never been answered. One of which is uh, the John Doe number two situation. We're going to get going to ask Charles about that in a minute. But first, you wanted to follow up on the uh, explosive power, the right? From the buildings. Uh, on the damage from the buildings, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just wondered if the government, what they say or if they just disregard it. Because I was reading, it's reported in their final report, that property damage to more than 300 <laughs> buildings in a 48-square block area. Oh, my gosh. That wow. seems to be more than what a truck bomb would do. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, the explosion was heard yeah, 50 miles away. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was a tremendous explosion, and there were two of them. Like, I was in my business office at the time getting ready to go to the Capitol. We were in the center of this small two-story building, and – another person and a secretary, we were having a cup of coffee and then we heard this boom, boom, kind of just like that. And it kind of shook the building. The landlord said they were putting new air conditioning units on the top of the building. <laughs> okay. We made comments to ourselves, well, I guess they're working on that this morning. Then all hell broke loose and phones right. started ringing and stuff like that. So um, I mean, have they, have, has, has anyone addressed about that? that? Or are they just like, no, oh, yep, we'll just leave it alone? Yeah, it's the same thing. Nobody holds the government accountable. We've seen a lot of that in the last few years, really out there in our faces. I, in my opinion, and it's like it's like that. They don't have to answer that specific mm -hmm. question. Right? Okay, mm -hmm. explain to us exactly how an ammonium nitrate bomb could do that. They don't. They don't bring anybody out to say, okay, 
lay it on them, tell them, tell them how it works. Yeah. Nobody's done yeah, that. In fact, we learned that they had their own investigators that they brought in and said, go ahead and check it out, but don't get too close. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, I mean, you've got the seismic uh, uh, analysis there that shows that there were two explosions. You've got your own personal, you just explained to us, uh, eyewitness account. You've got the guy on the bus who says it, it lifted up, came down, and then lifted up again uh, right there in the area. I mean, this is clearly more than one explosion. Can we not agree on that? Yeah, you know, the thing that comes back to me from the beginning, but especially, and as this went along, but especially as these years have gone by is, and again, it sounds like somebody could say conspiracy theorist or whatever, but right. I just experienced this like so many people did in a unique way. And I wonder why we keep falling for a lot of this crap. Thank you. And mm-hmm. I, and what I mean is, at least what I mean is, at least not just believe everything they say, right. at least question it and yep. then hold them accountable. Because what we get is more of it when we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Have they ever? And that's all we've See, have they yes. ever admitted, Charles, to the fact that the ATF was storing all these explosives uh, at their location in the building and and no. why they had explosives no. like that? No, we've got a we've got an affidavit from one man that came to the site. He was a government employee. He was off that day, he came immediately down there to help with the rescue effort. And he was immediately commissioned by somebody in a suit that was there with, I think he said, eight other seven or eight other individuals that looked like they were ATF or something. Some of them were highway patrol, some of them, and they commissioned him to get over here and help us move all this stuff out of the building into this big van. And it was various times of a, of weaponry or explosive device mm-hmm. devices, I think. So mm-hmm. anyway, you've got a lot of that, you know, you talk about, you guys were talking about the bombing. If you can go to those like uh, slides 15 and 16, where it's another telltale sign of some things the government did just, What's the point here is the crater. The experts also will look at a, at a, all the damage done, including a crater that was made by the explosive device, right. and they they can figure out what what happened there. Well, the government represented represented it as a 32 foot crater, and then this FEMA BPAT crew was that those experts they brought in. They estimated, which they didn't get to go look at it, measure it, or anything. <laughs> they estimated you can see they're at like 28 feet. But then our expert made this visual, and others said the real crater size, as in terms of measuring it and determining what caused it, would be this one where it shows 18 feet in diameter. And so, it's another example of how, well, you know. Is it incompetence or is it intent? Now, I think it's intent, but if one wants to think the government wouldn't go that far or people like that wouldn't fudge that much, mm. the uh, incompetence is enough to yeah. <laughs> clear the house and start over again, you know? Yeah. I'm sure about that. Uh, Here's the, another. Yeah. Go ahead. One more thing I think people will find very appalling is during the federal trial of Timothy McVeigh, the government, of course, had to bring their witnesses to make their case, which included someone from the FBI crime lab. Uh, to talk about various things. Well, at the time he was on the stand, uh, he was asked about, actually he was talking about various things and then the defense comes along to cross-examine. They ask at one point, well, how many fingerprints were collected and palm prints and other kinds of prints like that? And the number is 1,034 fingerprints. 
Wow. And he said, well, how many did you run against your database of which I think it was 35 million? How many of those fingerprints did you run them through your database? The answer is no, they did not run the fingerprints in the, against their big database. How is that possible? And the answer to why was. <laughs> was the question why know, even asked? Yeah. Because that's a pretty yeah. good question. Well, I mean, the guy's just doing what he's told. You know, I don't know yeah. if they drilled down on that and really did it. And I don't remember. Not. I don't think they did that at trial. Amazing. But, but they did. What they mm. did do is they had eight suspects. They said we ran, we checked it against the eight suspects that we have. So the suspects they decided mm -hmm. were the suspects. Right. We've talked about that. Then they decided, which included Terry Nichols' adolescent son at the time, or teenage, he was fourteen or something like that. Included mm. him. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Just was, doing their job. Was Kenny right. Trentadu uh, one of the suspects for a while? He was. He was arrested, and I think they thought that he might have been uh, John Doe number two, right? Uh, talk about a... Oh, I'm sorry. And and then he was... he They claim he committed suicide in custody, uh, but he was quite clearly beaten to death. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that, yep. uh, what you know about Kenny Trenton do. Well, strange, you know, kind of a strange occurrence of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Kenny Trinidu was a had been a bank robber, and he had got caught. He'd served some time. He was out on parole. He changed his life, got married, had one or two children, and he stopped meeting with his parole officer. And his wife frequently said, "Oh, I'm so worried. You're, you need to plug in with him because something's going to happen, and you're going to they're going to take you away." Well, that's what basically happened. the The odd thing is he had a pickup truck that was the same year color i think it was a chevy like a two-tone blue and white like you see mm -hmm. same year same color even had a camper shell on the back exactly like again one of the suspects that the government wanted to pin it on and mm -hmm. uh and even looked a little bit like him so they pull him oh. over on the southern border somewhere in california or arizona and see that he's jumped his you know he hadn't been checking in and whatever they take him in custody bring him to oklahoma city because we've got a big transfer center here at the airport for the prison system and that's where <clears throat> that's where he died. And it was clear uh, from insiders, again, long story from insiders, you know, they were trying to make him talk. And the family said he was the kind of guy who was like the black sheep in the family, a good guy. But he was kind of a, he was a tough guy and he wouldn't put up with stuff like that. He'd fight back. And so when the pictures of the body were revealed, it was amazing. He was clearly just beat to death. It was a shame mm -hmm. what happened there. And the, his brother, Jesse Trinidu, is an attorney, and the family uh, went to great lengths to pursue this. They wanted to cremate the body before the family could see it, and all these kinds of crazy things. Uh, they finally were able to bring a lawsuit and won the lawsuit uh, in a default because the government didn't want to reveal anything, so they just settled. Wow. And so wow. Wow. that brother has continued to try to pursue this, got interested enough in it that he started pursuing the some evidence such as prime primarily the surveillance videos so he's had a lawsuit still going on as i understand in the salt lake area in utah where he lives mm -hmm. trying to and they've finally got the court to agree to let he and his team review the surveillance videos wow that the government has claimed they can't find they don't have and they're probably still looking for him now. I think. And if so, I, if I, so they 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 say he can watch him, but they don't. Now we can't find him. 
yeah, it's a tedious process, and you know they go through so many slowdown tactics. Yep. So they at least won that point in the in right. the course of the litigation. Right. And I haven't got an update on that. And if well, I, I don't know where it's at. Ken, uh, they claim suicide from Kenny Trinidou, uh-huh. and he had a bruised and lacerated forehead. His throat was cut. He had black and blue knuckles, uh, and he was just clearly uh, a beaten to a pulp. And his brother said that people who viewed the body had to run out and vomit in the parking lot because it was so stark. It was so uh, graphic and and nasty. Uh, the beating that he that incurred. Uh, so it doesn't seem like a suicide. Um, some really very strange things um, happened during this investigation and yeah and i'd also like to add that the uh, local medical examiner who was widely respected said at first this is no way this was not a suicide and then huh the federal government pressured this guy for the longest time to finally get him to sign the paperwork that said yes it was um but uh, isn't that okay. and by the way uh coming up later today uh on the show we're gonna have an individual who's gonna talk to us about the first police officer to arrive on the scene Ended up dying in a similar fashion. Also committed suicide. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. So, did this guy was he involved, or did they just think he was involved? Kenny, and so, yeah. yeah, and, no. and no, so they just he, think he was, he was involved, and no, he was not involved. Mm. Not involved. Was, yeah, yeah. He was actually a, living a. He was a, being a good citizen, living life, and Incredible. he just failed to continue to check in with his parole officer, and that was the issue. And then all hell. Yeah, if I remember correctly, something I read, I think that the inmate said that some FBI agents or somebody showed up there at the prison um, and participated in this beatdown. Beat him, yeah, yeah. Well, the brother and the family started having people, you know, call them Mm -hmm. and give them Mm -hmm. information. And so they, some of them described this terrible beatdown that happened because they, probably heard it from other rooms and yeah. maybe participated in it or something so but it was a shame charles what is your best guess as to what happened here what what really occurred i mean obviously timothy mcveigh and terry nichols didn't do this by themselves and yet that's pretty much the official narrative and the that john doe the- number two went away um and so they just wrapped it up nicely and moved on uh what do you what do you think actually happened well, there's no question in my mind there was they were preparing for this. There's too much evidence. Let me tell a kid if we got time for another quick story. Mm-hmm. There's one we call Black Forest. This one just kind of blew my mind. One of our board members who was in the building and survived it miraculously, he was behind a pillar on the eighth floor or he would have died. Okay. And he was on our board and his name is VZ Lawton. He went to Germany to visit some relatives and his son who was in the Air Force, which he enjoyed doing that frequently. While he was there, he took a little tourist jaunt on the Rhine River, and then there was a dinner that night for whoever was there, you know, tourist people from all over. And so he sat in at a table with a number of people, and VZ had lost his hearing some, and so he was saying, huh, a lot. So these two ladies that were cousins that went on this trip together in their about 40s at the time said to him, hey, VZ, you need to get your hearing checked or something. So he spoke up. He's a real good-natured guy. He says, yeah, I was in the bombing that's what happened to me and blah blah blah. so that starts a conversation and he tells some stories like we're talking about here and one of them said oh that's why we got that call i bet 
And he said, what call are you talking about? She said, well, I work at Walter Reed Army Hospital in a unit that specializes in blast wave overpressure. So a treatment for blast wave overpressure right. victims. And we got a call a couple of days before the bombing from somebody that said they were uh, working as a congressional liaison and working with the governor's office of Oklahoma. And they inquired about what's the proper treatment for blast wave overpressure victims. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, you know, VZ. So, again, a long story short, we pursued that. We went and back and after they got back to the States, went and interviewed her. Her boss, it was a small office of, I think, four total people, and her boss, and they confirmed it, said they, he even took notes, and he was willing to look it up and share those with us, et cetera, et cetera. So there was this give and take that went on about three or four times, and then finally they just shut up. Somebody apparently told them, uh, stop talking. Wow, they were prepared. To me, that's, that's mm -hmm. a huge, that's mm -hmm. another huge story here in oh. the story. Yep. No kidding. Well, it's amazing the work you've done on this. No and kidding, it's awesome. You, you've stayed with it for nearly thirty years now. Um, thank you for doing that. Uh, do you think you think anything will ever be resolved? I, or, what's the outcome? I mean, we're, we're pretty much just done here, as far as the government's concerned, right? Well, the, yeah, maybe. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, you know, maybe something will happen. I'm not living. I'm not holding my breath on that. But what yeah. I hope does happen is that because of these kinds of things, people as you well know, tend to be more open-minded as the time goes by. Yeah. But what I wish yeah. people learned from this, and that's why we need to keep telling the stories, is so mm -hmm. people can understand this stuff happens and they need to be better prepared when something like this happens again. Think it through and not just buy hook, line, and sinker everything the government tells you. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I will, yep. I will post um, mm -hmm. anything that you want us to lead the audience to. Um, I, I know that uh, I've referenced uh, the Rumble video of yours that, mm -hmm. that you had created in the months right after the bombing. Is there anything else that you would want us to make the audience aware of uh, from your end that you want them to see? Well, somebody else created those videos because the only thing I've done is, is we've created this report. You mentioned that. It's a 555-page report. It's about the size of a phone book, and it's got a whole bunch of color pictures and stuff like that, and it diagrams where the experts mm -hmm. tell their story. We don't really have a site. I think there's some mm -hmm. available on on maybe Amazon, okay. but somebody has got interest in that now, so we're looking into making that available again. So right. if yeah. they want to go on Amazon and look up the final report, I think they could contact me that way. Yeah, I think on Twitter you are uh, C-Key, if I'm not mistaken, right? C-K-E-Y? Yeah, yeah. I, I try not to get on there too often. <laughs> You're a smart man. <laughs> Me smart too. Man. Me too. All right, uh, Charles, thanks a lot. Appreciate it, and thanks for Thank all the you. work you've you done great. on this. Thank you. Uh, mm. Really interesting. Thank uh, you. Thank Charles you. Key, former uh, Oklahoma State rep. Uh, really fascinating really stuff. Really fascinating. And in just a few minutes, we're going to talk to Timothy McVeigh's attorney, uh, well, he's not anymore, of course. Uh, Timothy doesn't need an attorney anymore. <laughs> what he needs now is a fire hose to... Uh... Oh, oh, baby. <laughs> baby. <laughs> Uh, that's what he needs now to put the fire you know the fire and the brimstone that burns no, continually I, around I, I, him I think we, yeah, that's I what he needs what now we got it yeah. okay we got it all right just making sure <laughs> uh chris tritico former attorney of uh, timothy mcveigh will uh will be talking to us just after seven uh that should be fascinating as well now, he used to tell us about this on on my show in houston and I don't remember all the things that he said, but it's fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating. We'll, we'll remind ourselves coming up.
Gray is here on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome. Oh, wait. Uh, Good morning, American. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's Friday. There we go. Wow. Now All it's right. official. There it is. I uh, got some tweets here. Let's see from uh, Not a Botus, Ohio Mom. I don't know. You, you guys got to okay. make this, uh, your, your handle's a yeah. little shorter. <laughs> uh, remember Glenn Beck in the early days of his radio career? Nah, it wasn't really the early days. It was his, the early days of his radio na- national. career. We're national. Like, yeah, okay. All right. Uh, no, wasn't the early days of the national. Okay, so what's the tweet say? No. Um, because <laughs> in the early days of his national career, it was 2001 on. Correct. Okay. The early days of his radio career would have been 78, 79-ish. But anyway, had a reporter on that saw Middle Eastern men around the Oklahoma City building yep. pre-bombing. Yeah. Was her first name Jaina? Yeah, it was Jaina Davis. Jaina right Davis, now. and she wrote yeah. a book, and I remember this guest. I think it was about 2004 that he had her on. In fact, in I, reached, early days of his I, reached, I reached out to her for this show, and I have not heard back. So mm. we might have to do a follow-up at some point. Yeah. But, yeah, that's another thing, by the way, that we didn't cover with Charles is the Middle Eastern guy who was seen by a witness smiling yeah, and laughing afterward. just outside the Murrah right. Federal Building looking right. at it. Yeah. Oof. Afterward. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fast Eddie 53 tweets, interesting to note the players involved in Oklahoma are also involved in today's events. Yeah. It is interesting, isn't uh, it? Merrick Garland, mm-hmm. uh, Jamie Gorelick. Yep. Uh, almost as if Eric the playbook Holder, was written. Holder. Robert Mueller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Almost as if we're, uh, huh. managers are using the right. same plays they had before. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh. Uh, from Tara Hart, the interview with Representative Charles Key is absolutely shocking. If it involves the Clinton administration, I believe that Oklahoma City was definitely a sting operation that went horribly wrong. I would love to sit down with Charles, uh, you know, on the patio for, oh, you for talk 10 hours. For, and, and just, yeah, a long time. Oh, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds credible. He sure does. He's certainly not a crazy guy. He's done his research. He knows what he's talking about. I mean, interesting. Uh, very interesting. Really interesting. I mean, was it a sting operation that went wrong? I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Makes a pretty good case. Uh, <laughs> all right. Next up, we've got uh, Chris Tritico. All right. Uh, our friend from uh, Houston many years ago. Worked with him at uh, KPRC in Houston. Uh, Chris, welcome. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing good. Uh, long time no talk. Um, yeah. So uh, wh- what are you doing lately? Are you working at KPRC, KTRH anymore, or is that over? No, that's no. that's been over for quite some time. Has it? Um, oh, I got to catch up on things, I I'm, guess. I'm at um, Channel 26 now. Okay, yeah. nice. Doing what for Channel 26? Legal analyst uh, work. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I do a lot of legal analyzing. Yeah, uh, we, yeah. My, yeah. us too. <laughs> us too. In my spare yes. time. Uh, so, Chris, we wanted to talk to you today because uh, we're we're every. Uh, last Friday of the month, we we feature some conspiracy theories, and you know there's uh, the, you know there's a lot of theories that what really happened in Oklahoma City, and I, I I remember this is probably almost 20 years ago when we we used to talk about uh, Timothy McVeigh and you being his attorney. Um, can you d- tell us a little bit about your background with uh, with Timothy McVeigh and? Um, I mean, what what he said about his involvement in Oklahoma City. Was there any anybody else that helped he and Terry Nichols, or or was there a uh, John Doe number two that they thought was 
helping them that they didn't follow up on that all of a sudden they just dropped? Right. So I, I can talk about some of that. Now, <laughs> as, as I've told you in the past, and I'm, I'm still mm -hmm. not able to talk about what Tim and I directly discussed. Even though he's gone uh, now. He'll be okay with it. Even though yeah. The, the, okay. Yeah, the, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled uh, before Tim was executed that uh, the attorney-client privilege uh, extends beyond the client's death. Wow. And I'm happy Tim about that, actually. That's good. Hmm. Tim uh. read that case and told us he did not want us to discuss uh, his attorney-client matters okay. uh, after he was executed. And, and so I, even though Stephen Jones uh, uh, talks about his, talk, his discussions with Tim— I've, I've honored that because Tim asked me to, and so mm, right. I don't I don't discuss my 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 discussions directly with Tim, but I can discuss some of that, what you said. And John Doe number two, the government uh, looked and looked and looked for John Doe number two, and about two or three days before trial, they uh, announced there was no John Doe number two and dropped uh, their their search for him. Now, mm -hmm. look, I, I'm going to give you one thing. They, they dropped their search for John Doe number two to make their trial easier. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so that, that's, that's, that. uh, that's a simple read there on that. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you that my work in this case uh, leading up to trial, now my, my role in this case was forensics and, and, and only forensics. And, and I had enough to do in, in preparing for the forensics part of this trial to, to not wade into whether or not there was a broader conspiracy. Mm -hmm. uh, but I never saw anything indicating to me that there was anyone else involved in, in the case. And, wow. and wow. as I've, you and I have discussed, I didn't think from a defensive standpoint, it helped our case for us to try to prove there was a broader conspiracy. If, you, if we go into court and prove that there was... 12 other people involved, that doesn't take Tim McVeigh out of the truck. It doesn't right. take him out of the videos driving the truck there. Right. And it doesn't take him away from blowing the building up. And so he still gets executed. It just adds more people to the execution list. And so I thought it was a waste of our time to spend all that time, effort, energy, and money uh, trying to prove this broader conspiracy when it was still going to get our client executed at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, so I thought it was a waste of our time. But with that said, I never saw anything indicating that there was more people involved. And let me make one one final statement here, and I'll answer some more questions. Wow. After the after they arrested and tried and convicted Tim, and arrested and tried and and tried to convict Terry Nichols of capital murder, there's never been any other bombings that they of, of federal buildings that they tied to this broad conspiracy. And so uh, hmm. if you take it to its mm -hmm. natural conclusion, I don't think there was anybody else. Hmm. Well, so, so Chris, hey, this is Keith. Um, uh, I, I have this, uh, this paragraph from an article that I just read, and I'm not asking you to change your view from the last 20 plus years on whether or not there was a broader conspiracy, but I, I found this very interesting and it made me think of you because it mm -hmm. indirectly mentions you. It says, um, uh, the FBI received reports, McVeigh calling and possibly visiting the Elohim City, that's a white supremacist town right. in Oklahoma, uh, before the bombing, at one point seeking, quote, to recruit a second conspirator. The documents also have one source reporting that McVeigh had a lengthy relationship with someone at Elohim City uh, and that he called that person just two days before the bombing 
These documents were never shown to McVeigh's lawyer. So, I, I mean, that right there on its surface, that the government, right to your point, that they would want to crush any kind of thought that there was a larger conspiracy. Mm. Do you think that there may, maybe just, uh, even even after the fact, Chris, have you ever read or heard of anything that, that maybe was concealed from you that maybe mm, would change your thoughts on if it were a larger conspiracy than just Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols? So that's a, that's a great question. Um, right before uh, Tim was executed, uh, I was reappointed on the case along with my very dear friend, Rob Nye, who passed away a couple of years, several years ago, and Nathan Chambers, um, who was one of Tim's appellate lawyers. Uh, we were reappointed when the government announced that there were 10 bankers boxes of evidence that we had not been shown at trial. Wow. And we filed wow. a uh, motion to stay his wow. execution. And in discovery, uh, while we were trying to get our hands on those 10 boxes, we de we determined that it was actually 100 boxes of evidence. Oh, that gosh. Had shown. 10, 100, uh, you know, whatever. What, I mean, and, only 10 yeah, 10, 100, you know, whatever it's like. Yeah. And <laughs> the, the judge, um, Judge Mache, the trial judge, denied our initial motion to see the evidence. And we appealed it to the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals there in Denver. And while it was pending, uh, Tim ordered us for a second time to stop the appeal. Um, and and I, I, I can reveal this. His reasoning was that, and, and we thought that we had a really good shot at, at staying his execution. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but his reasoning was, even if we got a new trial, uh, he was going to end up at best with life in prison, and that would be life at Supermax there in Colorado, which is a horrible existence, and he didn't want to live that way. Right. It goes back and, to what you said earlier as well, is that uh, you know when you start getting into multiple uh, multiple, multiple people bombing the, the building, it still comes back to Tim being mm -hmm. guilty. Mm -hmm. Right. So, does any part of you think, maybe in hindsight, that the reason he wanted to stop the appeals, um, and, I, and I can't get into his head, obviously, right. but if there was a larger conspiracy, maybe he doesn't want that to come out. He wants the credit, the, the sole wow. credit for this, and, and therefore he needs to stop any kind of pursuit of an alternate truth here. Is that a yeah, thought? That you know, Tim never acted that way with me. Okay. Uh, he, he was never a braggadocious type person. In fact, uh, it, if he was that type of person, he would have allowed uh, a, a monument to have been built, you know, around his ashes. Mm. And he instructed Rob Nye to take his ashes and scatter them in a secret place. And the only person who knew where his ashes were scattered was Rob Nye. And, and Rob died with that secret. So uh, he he did not want anyone to know where they were because he didn't want people to to either build a monument around it or desecrate it. Right. And hmm. and so no one ever knew where his ashes had been scattered. So have we seen the ten boxes of evidence, or is that just gone in the no, wind now? Hundred. No one no one ever oh, got no. to yeah, see what turned yeah. out to be a hundred hundred bankers boxes of evidence. No one ever got to see it. Because he ordered us to stop those appeals, and and we really had a good motion, and I thought that we were going to get a stay of execution to, re to review that evidence, and he ordered us to stop, so we didn't get to see it. Where and, are those? Wow. Interesting. Yeah.
Where are those boxes no, the today? Government's got it. The government oh, has cool. it somewhere. Of course. Of course. Of course. Probably course. destroyed it. Yep. You know, it's, it's interesting. Gone by now. Yep. That was 25 years ago, so it's probably gone by now. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because we were just talking about how quickly he was executed. I mean, quicker than almost anybody I've ever yeah. heard of before. It took, what, six years? And usually well, and those so, things stretch out for 10, 15, 20 years. Well, there's two reasons for that. Number one, it's a federal case. And so you don't have the state court appeals on top of the federal appeals. So right, that's okay. that's one reason why it's faster. But two, you got to remember that Tim Tim ordered uh, his appellate lawyers to, to stop, stop all the appeals. Appeal. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so that cut off uh, mm-hmm. years of appeals really something wow it sure is she's so terry nichols are you familiar with his case is he i mean he's not eligible for parole right it's life yeah. in prison without parole it's life without parole yeah, yeah. Yes. uh is and he at a supermax facility he is in supermax in and just outside of Denver. I, I don't know it's in colorado i can't remember what city it's in yes but he's in colorado wow and um you know, Terry Nichols' case was uh, a very, very interesting case and, and probably the best piece of litigation, uh, the criminal defense litigation you, you'll see in the United States uh, ever. Mike Tiger and Ron Woods defended him and got a uh, got him a life sentence, not only in the federal case, but in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, All right, the death penalty strong there. a life sentence on, on the Oklahoma City bombing in mm. the state of Oklahoma. Uh, on this case, that's that's probably the best piece of criminal litigation you'll you'll see in the United States ever uh, on on that case. Mm. Wow, uh, Chris, it's been great to see you again and and uh, catch up a little bit. And uh, uh, glad to hear you're you're still doing media in Houston. That's that's awesome. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's it's been fun. It, it, it's you know, it, it, I don't make any real money at it. They pay me just enough to get out of bed in the morning. But it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> It's fun. <laughs> uh, all right. Good to see you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. You bet. Anytime. All right. Chris, Chris Tritico. Um, He's a good guy. Yeah. Very good guy. Uh, very good guy. Boy, that those boxes. Right. hundred that boxes uh, of evidence. Are they just easy, gone in the ether? Yeah. Oof, not even, if we, you're a federal employee and you have any knowledge whatsoever. I wonder if Charles yeah. Key has ever <clears throat> seen or knows about those. Oh my I'm sure he's never seen him, but he might know about him. But yeah, I mean, there's oh, a Lord there's so. a reason people aren't seeing them. I know, I know. I, they don't I, want I him seeing. I mean, that is that is unbelievable that you forget, didn't what? let the defense for, in on a hundred oh, boxes I of evidence. I forgot about them. They're back here. Yeah. and they got lost. Those were incinerated before McVeigh was executed. You know it. I'm sure they probably were. Uh, it's very possible. I'm sure, they you probably know, we, were. We lost those in a flood. Shoot. Uh, sorry. Darn yes. the luck. Really something. Triple eight seven two. Triple eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three. More. Pat Gray. Uh, we got Jose Gallison coming up from the No Way Jose podcast in nice. just a few minutes. He's uh, he's also been researching the Oklahoma City situation. Yeah, you're talking about strange deaths around Oklahoma City. Yeah, you got the Kenny Try to Do thing, uh-huh. uh, who supposedly committed suicide, um, beat himself to death, mm-hmm. which is really weird. That's a strange uh, way to go. All the time. Yeah. All uh, the time. And then there was a police officer that first showed up at the scene of Oklahoma City. He uh, was killed in unusual circumstances. They claim that's suicide as well. Wow. So we'll talk to him about that in a few minutes here. Um, Got a few uh, uh, tweets to share. 
sarcastic Mr. Sean tweets, the boxes, you know, the evidence boxes. Yeah, the 10. Are in Joe's garage next to the Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> From Nikita Khrushchev. Oh, wow. Um, I'm honored. Uh, <laughs> oh, they have Wi-Fi in hell? Are you, though? <laughs> yeah, no, okay. not really. Okay. Uh, those 10, 100 boxes of evidence are probably next to the crate containing the Ark of the Covenant in the mm. massive yes. warehouse seen in Indiana. Ooh, yes. Yeah, call Nicolas Cage. And uh, KJP's Little Munchkin. Oh, that's Ford. Uh, I know that, but I'm also making reference to another movie. I was trying to get two for the price of one, Jeffy. <laughs> the government being involved with Oklahoma State doesn't surprise <laughs> me at all. Um, makes me wonder why... What they could have uh, that they could have been involved with nine eleven. No kidding. Why can't our government just be honest with us? Yeah, you can't trust the the cover story ever, ever. With this government, always question uh, it. Yeah. I was so glad to hear Charles say mm-hmm. that right out of the gate. Every mm-hmm. single time the government tells you a narrative, think question the opposite it. because yeah. it's probably going to lead one hundred and eighty degrees from where you start. Probably. I mean, that's. It's so, Probably. it's like this, I mean, listening to this, just wide open January 6th uh, mm-hmm. comes to mind. Mm. Uh, I mean, unbelievable to me. It's, it's the same game plan. Yeah. Everything is just amazing. And, and Stuart Rhodes yesterday from uh, the Oath Keepers. Yeah. Is that Oof, what it is? Man, am I, Oath I, Keepers. I, feel, I felt a lot safer this morning. I'll tell you 18 that. 18 years yep. in prison he was sentenced to. He didn't bring a weapon. He well, didn't enter the Capitol building. That. He didn't harm anyone, and he wasn't arrested in the first year. He deleted stuff, after right? January sixth. Yes. He deleted some tweets deleted or stuff. something that deleted. he and yeah. and Jeez. and he My had uh, he had a stockpile of weapons mm-hmm. outside of D.C. Yeah, so I've got a I've got some weapons uh, way outside of DC <laughs> that fell into a body of water. There we go. You know, As your attorney, ago, course, I would right? encourage yeah. you to yeah. not talk about that anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, don't forget now if you ram a U-Haul truck mm-hmm. into the barricades at the White House, what was it, Jeffy? It's a misdemeanor now. Is that what? Oh uh, yeah, I think yes. they dropped it way down. Way yeah. down. Yeah. It, okay. It's like uh, okay. And here's the thing with destroying that private property. Uh, Government property. I don't think I was thinking about no. that. Okay. I don't know where you're going, mm-hmm. but, but I, I just, you know, we know that we have a, uh, well, I think 60,000 pounds of ammonium nitrate missing from the train. It's Isn't that for interesting? they missing for a month, right? They've been on high alert trying to find out what happened. Mm-hmm. I, I, to my, I believe it probably is still at the company. It was just, you know, it was never actually put on the train car, but, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see because mm-hmm. it. In, during travel, the train car was locked. They tried to say that there was some sort of hole, and it, you know, the pellets all fell out on the trip. That's so cute. I hate when uh-huh. that happens. That's right, so I know. I hate when but, that happens. So Dang it. during this time, well, mm-hmm. we're on high alert. We know that this is out there missing. Mm-hmm. A van, a U-Haul van, a big moving truck, drives into the Capitol, and we don't check it out. We, I mean, we didn't, we didn't send in special bomb people to see if it was loaded with ammonium nitrate to explode. Nothing. We just the opened Ryder it truck? up. Yeah, mm-hmm. the U-Haul truck. U-Haul. Uh, we, the, we yeah, just, this one was. We a just U-Haul. flung it open and mm-hmm. dragged out the Nazi flag out of the backpack from the Hindu Nazi. And I guess and we're that done was here. It. We're, we're done. done. We're on. done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't forget this story. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Both of these stories, I think. Yeah. Especially the uh, the missing pellets. Yeah. 
Uh, incredible story. They just they locked it up from the company, and then but when it reached its destination, well, by the way, it's empty. earlier this week, mm. um, uh, several. Uh, we, have, we, have, we, have, we haven't had any big train accidents lately either, have we? Whoa, whoa! Don't jinx it, man. Come on. What are I'm you just doing? I'm just saying it's interesting that we're. I mean, Buttigieg is doing a hell of a job. Yeah, he's he's a good guy. He's really good at his <laughs> job. Um, it's amazing how um, meeting your husband on a train can whoa, qualify you for whoa. that position, but. Here we are. They were on but, the platform, by the way, not on the train. Anyway, okay, thank you. The train station. Thank you. <laughs> That's the story. So um, we have a story now of 50-something senators uh, who were just given satellite phones. Right. And, and taught how to use them. What, what is that all about? These are, these are stories you just need to kind of tuck I away. Know. It's interesting. They offered 100 senators satellite phones. 50 of them said, no, thank you. What? I think that's pretty smart. Uh huh. Yeah, I, uh-huh. I think I would have said no, thank you. Really? As well. Yeah, to the NSA uh, satellite phones. Yeah, no, thank you. No, thank you. I okay. I don't think so. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. How they, about no? They also mm-hmm. there was reported. I gotta find the stupid thing. What was reported? But it was reported that many of our legislators are partying at specific. Government, I mean, there's safe locations over this Memorial Day weekend coming up. Uh, very interesting to me that they are all we've all that we've all got uh, sat phones, and we're being part. Where is that stupid story? It sounds good. I know. I'm no, sorry. It sound, no, it I sounds. No, it sounds. Thought I could. So open. they're all together hanging out. No, but they're at oh. uh, special special government places. Like like protected places. Yeah. Oh no. What? That doesn't sound like a good uh, foreshadowing there. No. I know. I know. Okay. I'll, I'll find Write it that here. one down too, y'all. Hmm. Uh, is that why Biden's going to Camp David this weekend? Oh, he's got to Camp get, David and then Delaware, right? Yeah. Got to get got to get recharged the head the head meds. That I, well, be, I believe that. He worked for like 2 days straight. <laughs> he worked really hard for about 2 days. And uh, now he needs to take some time, you know, for himself. Because only about forty percent of his presidency has been that. So <laughs> look, my. it's working twenty four seven anyway. Uh, Sometimes ma- he works until nine oh five. We we established this the other day. Uh, he's worked until nine oh five in the morning before, and uh, before they shut things down and say, "Look, he's had too much going on today, so we're shutting it. We're putting a lid on it at nine oh five. Okay, <laughs> president's going back to bed, everybody. You know, thinking back to Oklahoma City, and uh, it's it's amazing how we can. I mean, Jeffy right now is scrolling, looking for a story uh, in real time. You're constantly alerted about uh, the news of the day. I was just thinking back to April nineteenth, nineteen ninety five, and and that was a long day of classes where I would go to class early in the morning. These long classes, no access to media, no cell phone notifications, no TVs in the hall there in school. It wasn't until like 4 o'clock in the afternoon till I got back to my dorm and my roommate was watching the coverage of Oklahoma City telling me, just basically giving me an update on what's been happening the last eight hours. It right. is fascinating how news travels so quickly now and it's at your fingertips. Oh, you know the minute anything exactly. happens. Exactly. Boy, talk about being disconnected that day and yeah. not anymore. No, Can't get away from it now. Triple eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three. More Pack Ray Unleashed, and we've got uh, Jose Gallison coming up to talk about Oklahoma City. All right, Triple Eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Pat Unleashed on Twitter. Uh, do we have? 
Our guest? Yep, okay. we're good. Jose's here. All right, we got Jose uh, Gallison of the No Way Jose podcast. Uh, <laughs> tell us about another element of the Oklahoma City, city bombing. Uh, there's just so nice. many. It's just you can't, You're right, man. can't deal with it all in one show. But uh, we're, we're doing as we're, much as that's we right, possibly we are. I mean, can. We give and we give and we give. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, so we talked a little bit about Kenneth uh, Trentadu, who was... Uh, for a while suspected to be maybe the John Doe 2. He yeah. certainly wasn't, had nothing to do with it. They beat him to death anyway, trying to get information out of him. Uh, there was somebody else who died under very, very weird circumstances, and uh, Jose is here to tell us about uh, Terry Yeeke from uh, an Oklahoma City police officer who was, I guess, the first on the scene to arrive. Uh, Jose, welcome. Uh, appreciate your being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Pat. Uh, yeah, you bet. yeah, I'm glad you guys covered Trent, uh, Kenneth. I uh, wrote a whole piece on him recently uh, when in Garrison Magazine. Uh, I appreciate you having me here. I'm uh, looking forward to telling you about Terrence Hickey, uh, the uh, the the uh, police officer, one of the first responders who died uh, under very, very, very suspicious circumstances. <laughs> now, who who was he? What was uh, what was his situation? He he was the first to arrive on the scene. Is that is that right? Yeah, I've, I've heard first, uh, when I hear first, it's like, do you mean like literally the first or one of the first? Yeah. I, I haven't been able to clear that up, but it's it the, the between all the sources I've heard, it's like within minutes he okay. was there. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was basically the first, um, yeah, he was one of the first responders to show up. Uh, obviously the story becomes, you know, later, about a, a year and a month or so later, he ends up dead. It's kind of like, and then he had been saying things in the meantime that kind of alluded that maybe he knew more, uh, that maybe there was something else going on. Uh you know, obviously, like we're kind of speculating to some extent. He did say some things, but it's like he was never he was kind of secretive. He seemed to be trying to protect people and not give them too much information. But, yeah, he was a young, young cop at the early 30s. Uh, he had a wife, well, an ex-wife at the time, two young children. Uh, like him and his uh, ex-wife were in a good spot at the time. It looked like they were kind of rekindling things. I bring that up because that was kind of what they point to because they blamed it on suicide. A lot of times they point to issues with the family. Right. And, uh, you know, like I said, if you, uh, Tanya Yiki, his, uh, his ex-wife, she's done a whole radio interview, um, and before, and she goes into like the state of the relationship at the time, uh, he was introducing her as his wife at the time and she seemed pleased by it. They seemed to be in a good spot, but there was like a protective order, like a, a of some sort that had been put into place about a month before the bombing. And like I said, he died mm-hmm. about a year and a month ish after the bombing. But uh, Tanya's actually picked him up from the hospital because he did injure himself in the process of saving lives. Uh, he fell through a couple floors uh, carrying a hefty fella. Oh, um, wow. Kind of hurt himself. And um, uh, he was a big dude. Uh, Ken- uh, not Kenneth, but uh, Terry. He was about probably you know, mid-200s, uh, tall guy. Uh, so, yeah, he, he fell a couple, a couple floors, hurt himself. Uh, Tanya was who picked him up. Uh, so they were obviously that good at a spot in their relationship to where she was comfortable at even supposedly having some sort of protective order thing going on. Um, so, you know, that the state. And then obviously then you fast forward a year and some change later. And, you know, what is the state of the relationship then? Because, uh, like I said, they do point to that. They actually, the day of, before they even found the body, like the day he died, before they even knew he was missing, they called Tanya trying to get to her to report him for violating the uh, protective order so <laughs> you know put two and two oh. together uh it looks very suggestive when you say they <laughs> called her who who is they oh they uh i don't mean they in that uh quote-unquote conspiracy way the his uh his police department uh so yeah okay okay he, do we have any idea what he knew um what he found out that that might have been problematic for authorities 
I mean, there are a few things. The most notable is the letter uh, that he sent to Ramona Yeek, not Ramona Yeeke, Ramona McDonald. Uh, the, I believe you guys have that letter. It's a long one. Uh, I, I'd, yeah. I'd read it, but it's uh, I don't want to you know use up my whole time reading that. But there, there's a lot. Of, it does. I, I heard in the previous segment you guys were talking about maybe a sting gone wrong. In the letter, he basically says that exactly that. He doesn't say specifically like the specific details about. It. He doesn't mention an individual, an ATF individual named Lucas Franey, that he said he mm. essentially. It sounds like he's saying he heard him calling in, like kind of debriefing and. Uh, like I said, he never gave uh, too much specifics. Uh, Ramona McDonald's one of those ones I'd like to talk to because I think she does know some specifics. But uh, she's, and who uh, is she? She is uh, a friend of his. She was essentially kind of put together uh, this group of uh, survivors to, after the following the bombing. People just kind of almost like a support group, and then it kind of then mm. you know veered off into this other thing that became kind of like a clearinghouse for information because there were people started having questions. You had Charles Key on earlier. He kind of, uh, he uh, was one of the people who was like kind of a, I don't know if he was necessarily part of that group, but a lot of those individuals kind of end up going through him and going that route to, you know, try to rectify the situation, not rectify it, but, you know, get justice of some sort. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And he, uh, he mentions to this Ramona, that he really kind of thought that he wasn't long for the police department, right? Was it because of what he was saying about the investigation? Was it because of what he said about the bombing? Yes, that seems to be heavily what he's implying. Uh, the biggest thing is in that letter he talks about that him and a few other individuals had gone to their chaplain, which I don't know uh, how what your audience is like entirely if they're not familiar with the concept of chaplains. I was military for a little bit over a decade, active duty, uh, so we have chaplains in the military. I'm not entirely familiar how it works in the cops, but the idea usually is they're almost like a religious slash mental health uh, you yeah. know, uh, entity to reach out to, and they're supposed to be kind of like priests in the sense that they can't Confidential, talk. right? Yeah. yeah confidential. Mm -hmm. And supposedly him and a few other people went to this person named Jack Poe, uh, their chaplain, and apparently he routed that information up to leadership. Um, wow. There was also the issue of that he wrote like a nine-page report on the bombing that they didn't want to push forward. Uh, he had a lot of issues with his leadership with that. They were wanting him to write a different report. Uh, supposedly, uh, Ramona actually had a copy of that report at one point. But after the death, uh, she claims that her house uh, seemed to got ransacked from uh, ransacked and lost a lot of uh, her documents and information she had put together. Same goes for Terrence. His place got looked like it ransacked. Same thing with Tanya. Uh, at, like almost immediately following the death, uh, it, a, lot, a lot of weird stuff going on there. Can can I can I just uh, throw this in there? You mentioned Luke Franey, the ATF mm -hmm. agent that. Uh, that Officer Yiki uh, apparently overheard, right? That's the same guy that Charles Key was telling us earlier yeah. had made his way back upstairs. And when mm -hmm. I Googled and him just now, claimed to be in the building, he's got right? this yeah. you know, iconic sign that is beautifully written, by the way, trapped on the ninth floor. But anyway, mm -hmm. I just wanted to, to, to connect those pieces. Um, uh, same guy that, that Charles mentioned earlier. Could you, Jose, uh, take us through the mysterious... Um, I guess circumstances, the the way he supposedly the, the Tarantiki supposedly killed himself and all what his body looked like because it's eerily suspicious. It sounds like uh, what we heard earlier with Kent Trinidad. Yeah, uh, very much so. There are a lot of parallels between uh, Kenneth and Terry. Uh, basically, he his what what happened is they found at one point his car. Uh, which was covered in blood. Um, and from there, uh, this was actually found by Mike Ramsey, a Canadian County uh, Police Department uh, sheriff. He found the, they found the, the car. From there, they went and um, 
they took they uh, they saw the the car covered in blood. There was a uh, reports as well of that it looked like there had been you know burn marks on the floor. Uh, you know seats pulled apart, panels pulled apart, all sorts of craziness. Uh, from there, obviously, once they found a car covered in blood, you know, with nobody in it, that obviously is going to be like, well, you know, something happened here. And from there, uh, I believe what what has been reported is that Mike Ramsey called for a murder investigation investigator almost immediately. Uh, from there, they obviously start looking for a body. Uh, they find the body shortly later about the lowest estimates I've seen is a half mile. The highest is a mile and a half. I'm more from the sources I've looked at. I lean more towards a mile and a half. I feel like the half mile was almost like a trying to make it more believable. But either way, whether it's half mile, mile and a half, it's still not very believable. They uh, find the body because they found like his body had lost like two pints of blood when they found it. Oh. So, I mean, if mm. it was yeah, well, with damage like, to the car with, uh, you know, the damage and the blood. If they called the murder, uh, the homicide unit in right away, I mean, they had to believe something horrible happened oh yeah oh for sure mm -hmm. uh and yeah when they find the body the body had you know uh, multiple uh, cuts on the wrist the throat uh there was um you know mm. there was grass and dirt uh, in the wounds uh he, there also was what looked like rope burns and or um and uh, handcuff uh bruises on the wrists and uh, ankles uh, then there also the big thing was the you know then a bullet to the head and it was at a very odd angle it was um, kind of like sort of like the crest here I know you do audio so I'll try my best to explain it for audio. No, you're up. We got video. you, man. You're on video. We yeah. got you. Well, I know you yeah. do, you do audio. Oh, okay. Well. okay. I'm, yeah. trying to, I'm trying to take those guys into account. <laughs> no, <laughs> how kind are you? You're awesome, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's like kind of from the top of the head. Right. Uh, down yeah. so kind of almost like would probably come out on the other the lower side of the jaw it would have been the trajectory oh. um so, so like they, execution style really yeah yes basically mm -hmm. and and then the big thing is too is there wasn't i'm not a gunshot expert at all but apparently there's a thing called a stalat uh, s-t-e-l-l-a-t maybe that rings a bell for somebody but apparently when you do shoot yourself point uh, point blank it leaves a very distinct mark on the on the skin essentially and terry was a bald guy so that would have been very evident on him um so, it, you know, it, the, there was no stalat. They didn't see the, the gunpowder residue it, that would comport to a point-blank shot. So I'm not saying he got sniped or anything. What I'm saying is that it had to have at least been a little bit of a distance. And now keep in mind, Terry was a big dude. Uh, so this isn't, like, I guess theoretically you could shoot yourself like this. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, especially if it's point-blank. But a little why bit would you? Yeah, but now if Why you're going you? to go not point blank, now you're doing this mm -hmm. at the very least. So it's like you're right. trying to, at a weird angle, aim doesn't from the back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that was the state the body was found in. Uh, mm -hmm. He, uh, the Canadian, like I said, the Canadian County. That's not his police department. His police department was the OKP or the OCPD, the Oklahoma City Police Department. So they. A lot of people point to this as being weird. Uh, I mean, I guess it could be weird. There might be a, a logical reason to explain it. But they almost his police department almost immediately took over from the Canadian County uh, Police Department took over the investigation. I've heard people say that uh -huh. sometimes larger police departments take over smaller police departments for resource purposes. Uh -huh. That that logic doesn't really jive when you look into what resources were actually put into Terry's uh, looking to Terry's death because almost no resources were put in. There was no <laughs> autopsy. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a medical examiner's report. That's about it. There was no drug test, no alcohol test, nothing, nothing like that. that yeah. um, so there, they we took it over and shut it down. Yeah, well, they yeah. So mm -hmm. and, and one could say, hey, look, it was one of their own. So look, we're gonna we're gonna take mm -hmm. over this case. And you just made the points that I was just about to say. Like you said, no autopsy, no drug test, and they're the ones. Correct me if I'm wrong. They're the ones that stepped in and said, oh yeah, that's totally a suicide. Yep. I yep. mean, and, come uh, on. 
Mm. Yeah, and and uh, to add to that, I believe Bob Ricks came out with their police chief too. Which, if anyone knows Bob Ricks, uh, was a big dog in the FBI. Uh, he's been in, tied into a lot of stuff. I believe I want to say he's tied into Waco and the Rebridge and some of that stuff as well. But he was a big dog in the FBI, uh, so it's was, very suspicious he showed up with them as well. Was, to uh, was, you know. was it Terry's brother-in-law who, after the fact, do I understand this correctly, found um, a yes. bloody knife under the seat? Yep, they returned the car uh, to the family within a day. Uh, and it was still covered in blood, oh, and uh, the brother-in-law, you know, looked through it. Uh, I'm assuming, I mean, my theory would be if you're the brother-in-law, you're probably the go-to guy to clean up the car because, like, let's be real, you don't want to clean up your family's blood. Okay. So, I mean, he's a little bit more distant. But, yes, when he was, you know, doing all that, he found under the, uh, I believe, the passenger side dash or whatever, they found, like, kind of stored in there, the knife covered in, one of the uh, knife covered in blood. So, uh, oh, another key Jeez. fact I want to add in here because we talked oh, about yeah. the sh him being shot uh, according to Ramona, he the, he had had a meeting he was supposed to go to with some suits types. You know, she seemed to believe they were some sort of right. feds. Right. And um, he made the conscious choice. He said to her that he was not going to bring his service weapon because he was very apprehensive about the situation. And so, mm -hmm. like, but he was in the situation. Got to keep in mind we're mid '90s at this point. So, like, you know, put yourself in that frame. We're not modern day where you can just go. I mean, mm -hmm. like, I have a podcast. I could just put it on my podcast. Mm -hmm. Now, him, uh, you know, for him, like, his is his golden opportunity of, like, maybe I can do something. Like, here are some people, maybe they can do it. But he is cognizant of the fact that, like, but there's also this other possibility that it could go uh, bad. So he made the choice not to bring a service weapon, and which ties into the fact that we have, if there were ballistic uh, ballistics done, we never received them. So, you know, <laughs> the point mm. being is, like, obviously, if he had used his service weapon, you would think that they would immediately come out with ballistic reports and be like, yep, it was a service weapon. Clearly he shot himself. I also want to add there was no suicide letter. I forgot to mention that mm -hmm. earlier. Yeah, and, and he was on his way, correct, to have this meeting when this happened to him. Um, and, and and did you mention how far away the gun was separated uh, yes. oh, from, from, is it, yes. from his body? I, I have not yes. mentioned that, but you, you're right. Yeah. I didn't mention that, that detail. No uh, the, they didn't find a gun, I believe, until his, uh, the, his police department took over. Uh, so, uh, and you gotta Both think if it was a suicide, shot. if you shot yourself in the head, right. how far right. is that gun really going to go from the body? Uh -huh. Well, like, a lot of times when five, you shoot yourself in the back talks? of the head, you'll yeah. throw the gun like <laughs> half yeah. a mile away. Uh, after you shot yourself, <laughs> you just want to like, get yeah, that away from you know, me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it was, <laughs> how, I didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. How, how far away was it? Was it 10 feet? Is that right? No, I, I don't. I don't remember. Oh, I, don't it, think the, I don't remember specifics on how far. Oh, we away don't even have anything. They, they didn't find it for they a while. They didn't find so it. Like, oh my god, that's yes. how far away it was. Oh right. my gosh! Like, like wouldn't it be it. either in his hand or right next to him? And if you yeah. didn't find the gun, that's a pretty good indication. Can, he didn't shoot himself. What are you, the Clintons? Yeah. Can we? <laughs> can can uh, we revisit? Uh, or you know, remember, you mentioned that Tanya picked him up mm. the morning right then after the Oklahoma City bombing. And uh, this quote, uh, according to Tanya, Yiki gets in the car and says, quote, it's not true. It's not what they are saying. It didn't happen that way. Wow. Yes. Yep. Wow. Yeah, that was the, one of the first things he said to, to her. Yep. And uh, she always tried to pry, try to tell more information. Uh, he wouldn't. He actually was crying when he said that when he first got mm. in the uh, in, in there with him, uh, with her. So, you know, he... I, <laughs> You know, obviously we can only drive so much info out of that, but it's very suggestive. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Jose, if you had to guess, what would you say really happened here? I mean, if we don't, if we don't believe the actual official narrative uh, from the government, what do you think did happen? Uh, what I do think happened is I do think those were like my speculation. Once again, this is not something I would like claim to like assert and say this is the absolute truth, but. 
my opinion, if I'm going to speculate, is I do think that he did meet with some feds. I do believe he probably brought some sort of documents, some sort of information. Likely, if I had to guess, there were probably copies. So uh, that's probably why they kept digging. Um, you know, they were copies of copies or whatever of whatever documents, things he may have had. That's why they ransacked the house and his apartment or wherever he was living. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and uh, I believe that they probably, mm -hmm. uh, at that point, maybe they had probably had some sort of talk of like, hey, what information do you have? And then probably at some point they got serious, like, all right, well, you're going to have to give this to us and we're not doing this. And maybe they gave him some sort of out. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. Maybe they just straight up killed him right off the bat. But it looked like it looks to me like a torture and then, uh, you know, execution, mm. essentially. Uh, very much like Kenneth. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 And, and so, what do you what do you think happened to Kenneth? Do you, do you think he was I mean, were they trying to get information out of him about Oklahoma City and he wasn't cooperating? Yeah, that's my opinion. I, I do think yeah. uh, my opinion is I believe uh, me and uh, Richard Booth, my expert that I did the series with, uh, uh, he's you know spent uh, you know almost close to like a decade collecting documents and has the largest public archive on the Oklahoma City uh, you know bombing uh, there is out there on the Liberation Institute dot uh, org slash OKC. Um, and we talked about this, and I think that um, w with him, I, I think what happened is. Like, I know when we talk about conspiracies, everyone likes to imagine that there's like this clean idea, these people that perfectly control things. I think what likely happened is there were probably feds that probably were in the loop, some sort of field agents of some sort, didn't know. Because I'm of the opinion John Doe 2 was likely probably some sort of fed. Uh, so you would mm. think if it, mm -hmm. if the feds knew this, they wouldn't go after Kenneth Kennedy. Right. But point being is the way uh, information, I think, mm -hmm. filters through these large entities, I don't think they knew. I think they were looking for John Doe, too, and then obviously they did some shady stuff, tortured the guy, tried to get information out of him. He obviously didn't have information, and then, boom, you know, they ended up like, I don't know if they went too far, if they intentionally killed him at that point. Uh, and, well, they definitely yeah, so went that, too far. <laughs> <laughs> can I, can I? So you, uh, you, don't, you don't buy into the Middle Eastern uh, John Doe number two? Uh, I don't not buy into it, if that makes sense. I, I think there's <laughs> okay. some, I think there's, I think there is some credence to the Middle Eastern, uh, uh theory, uh, but I think it goes deeper. If you, I think if you're just looking at just Middle Eastern, if you're trying to make this like a terrorist thing, I think that's too surface level. I think it may go further because the, the, the connection when it gets to Middle Eastern, there's a lot of time this goes into Terry Nichols and, uh, his travels to the Philippines because yep. he did a lot of travel to the Philippines, which is weird, yep. which yep. a lot of times get covered because he did get a mail order bride from there and he did have mm -hmm. to visit but multiple yep. times, but he went there way more times than that. And yeah. the times when she wasn't there and was stateside. And mm -hmm. so like he yeah. wasn't visiting with her family. So it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. And yeah. the big thing about, the big thing about the yeah. Philippines is that's where Ramsey Yusuf made his uh, kind of home station at that point in time. And they were there at uh, the same time. Mm -hmm. yeah. So Ramsey Yusuf, like the 93 World Trade Sending uh, bomber guy, um, I, I don't know a ton about that, but I do know. And the bombs were similar. The bombs were similar. Yeah, that's 93. We which World is weird. Yeah. Yeah, and, and by the way, uh, Jose, I'm just, I've got your, uh, at nowayjose2020.substack.com, uh, I've got your article on uh, Kenneth Trinidu up here, um, and here's just a paragraph. Furthermore, let's see, according to Jesse Trinidu, uh, Ken's brother, uh, Norman Pearl, who provided technical analysis as an expert videographer for the Rodney King trial, was contacted by the FBI to check their camera that mysteriously had no recording of that night to ask him his expert opinion on whether the loss of video was done manually. The way Jesse tells Norman's account of the story, they asked for no written report to be done, only verbal. He said the tape was erased manually. He was willing to testify. He reportedly died of a heart attack before he could do so. Additionally, from your article. <laughs> yep. Um, two fellow inmates that claimed they heard screams and other noises that sounded like torture 
uh, from uh, Kenneth's uh, cell. Uh, they both died before they could testify in court. One of a suicide, the other of a drug overdose. Uh, before let's see. I mean, Pat, bad things happen. Right. Pat always <laughs> mm -hmm. states, like, for example, like if the moon landing was a hoax, okay, mm -hmm. he would. He says that uh, you would have to. People are going to die. You would have to kill yes, a whole bunch of people, right? Thousands of people. So, and it, this seems in, like in this case they have killed. There's a trail a lot of, of people. I, we're, yes, we're just a trail of blood. Just sitting here, yeah. we've we've now talked about five people conveniently dead right. before this thing explodes out on them. The two inmates yes. that heard the torture, uh, Kenneth Trentadu himself, uh, uh, obviously T Terry Yiki. A hundred boxes of evidence that just is gone, and 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 the defense, Oof. the defense team is not allowed to see. Never it? saw it. Come on, I mean, there's some weird things here. Never saw it. There are yes. some weird things here. Uh, Jose, uh, appreciate your joining us today. Uh, tell tell people where they can uh, get your podcast. Yeah, uh, I have the No Way Jose podcast. It's on YouTube. All the major odd packages on Odyssey as well. Uh, the series particularly is the What Really Happened to the OKC Bombing. Uh, if you want to find a nice little easy place for that where it's all assembled together, on my YouTube channel there's a playlist. If you go to all the other spots, you're going to have to manually search them. Mm -hmm. But I have a playlist mm -hmm. there. I also have additional stuff. I've interviewed uh, Steve Vassar, who was another first responder. He was also a, an eyewitness of John Doe 2, which weirdly never got investigated by. He never got uh, interviewed weird. by the FBI. Uh, he also was a close friend of Yiki, so that, that was a great uh, interview I had there. Uh, he just recently came out as a source. He was in that CNN article by Thomas Lake that came out like a, a few months ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that, that was a great interview. But uh, yeah, that's uh, you can follow me on Twitter if you want if you're into that thing at Tower Gang Jose. But yeah, I appreciate you having me. It was a great time. Yeah. Obviously, I could do way more. I've done like 15 hours on the topic. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, we found that out this morning. If, 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 not, if, if not anything, that uh, this could you go can do on a week. Uh, yes. on it. Yeah, you really could. Uh, and right. he did. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Um, Boy. Man. So much there. I think it's pretty clear that it happened just the way the government said. Right. Right. So that's your conclusion. That's what After discovered. two hours of discussing this. I think it's pretty clear. Timothy so. McVeigh and Terry Nichols pulled this thing off. They planned it. They executed oh, wow. it. And now they've been. Well, one of them was executed for what they did. So there you go. I mean, it's done. So. If Terry Nichols is still alive, obviously, you know, serving time. And he is. Do we think that there's uh, somebody needs to, and, and I, I haven't even looked. Yeah, I'm they sure. allow people in those supermaxes no, every day. No, what I'm you getting get in and out of there, just <laughs> zippity click. I'm just wondering if at some point maybe Terry Nichols will be interviewed and mm. actually I doubt they'll the, allow that. No, yeah, the beans no way. And, uh, doubt they'll allow that. No so, so the, again, they don't they don't just let like you can get just a day pass. Like a like a park hopper. I think it you was, can go to different prisons yeah, and, and get in yeah, there and just can. have a chat with him? No? I, I mean it was pretty convenient for the government that Timothy McVeigh wanted to be executed as sure, quickly I as mean, he did. It was a fortunate for them, right? Yeah it was. Yeah it was. Because I mean He's really the one who would have known, right? Right. Who else was involved in this? You, you would. I think it's you, pretty you clear would, there were other people involved. Yeah, you would guess that he would that he would know, but maybe you know, maybe he knew his part. You know, he wanted to blow up the building with this truck. He yeah. might not have known. Well, the other. there's no question. And it's on He's, brand, right. for yeah. this federal government to try to set somebody up and then completely have it literally blow up in their face. Sure is. Unlike Oklahoma City bombing, which happened just the way they go uh, us, yes, right? Exactly. Okay. 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 <laughs> and overtime coming up later on this morning. This is Pat Gray Unleashed.